0: Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that my short story is available for free at johntilton.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, I'll send you both the ebook and audiobook of Doomed Dune. In this middle-grade adventure, a girl named Melina travels to a forbidden landmark guarded by tyrannical robots, but her life turns upside down when she discovers a true reason it's off-limits. Discover Doom Dune's secret by heading over to johntilton.com. That's J-O-N-T-I-L-T-O-N dot com. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Cause of Craft. I'm your host, John Tilton. Why do we create? Where do our ideas come from? What does our craft say about us? These are the ideas we explore here on the show. Each episode, I interview a different guest, from writers and painters to musicians and filmmakers. Together, we investigate the creative process and the reasons behind why we create. What mediums come to mind when thinking about good storytelling? perhaps books, TV shows, movies, and even some video games. But what about a website? This week's guest, Josh Donnelly, believes storytelling is a vital part to good web design. He shares his journey from video production to creating websites and brand logos. We also discuss how to apply what you know across disciplines, learning on the job, and why people feel imposter syndrome. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the show, Josh. It's good to talk with you.
1: Hey, thanks, John. Thanks for having
0: me. So you have your own company, Donco Marketing. Can you explain a little bit about what you do there?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's interesting because it's evolved over the years, but really at its core, Donco Marketing does uh, brand design, web development, and overall marketing and advertising. So our core focus, typically with when working with, with any brand, our core focus is web design. And then from there, we kind of assist in the building of the overall bigger picture, the brand. So you say it's evolved over time. Where did it start for you? Like what was the first core of your business? This is where it's funny. So I started out really wanting to do like video production and marketing and advertising. So running ads and shooting videos. And so for a, for a while, um, the business started off by doing that for clients. We would you know shoot videos here and there, and then we'd run digital ads. And while that was awesome, and it's still part of what it is that we do, Ultimately, all of my clients ended up asking for a website at some point, and the website would always sort of reinvent the brand. There's so much control when you're building a website over sort of the look, the feel, the storytelling, and all of that, that then you'd redo the ads, and then you'd redo the video and try to make it all fit the core brand that you just created on their website. So that's kind of where we ended up. We were like, well, hey, let's focus on building a website first. And and clients love it too, because it's a great way to, you know, get to know them, get to know their brand and craft their story first and foremost. And then once we build their website, we sort of back up. And if they want us to, we take a look at the bigger picture and start running ads for them that point to the website or start creating videos that help evolve the website and those kind of things.
0: I'd imagine that video background is super helpful in creating what brand and marketing you want to give to your clients, because narrative is such an essential part of video. What elements of that in your background and video did you take and implement into web design?
1: I didn't know this when I was studying it in school, but like learning media production and what makes for good storytelling has kind of helped me in every aspect of my professional life. You know, I'm sure my my professors would love to hear that. But it's one of those things where, back then I was so you know I had tunnel vision I was I was going to make videos and that's all I wanted to do and that's you know that was all I really planned on doing and I always really planned on doing it in the advertising space maybe it's my attention span but I never could fathom like working on a narrative film for like 3 years I wanted to like do a thing and then move on to the next thing and so I had always planned on using video production for adver- advertising but as I started to get more and more into the other aspects of marketing which are you know, storytelling on a website or storytelling in an ad, or how do you tell part of a story in an ad and complete the story on the web page? And those kind of things really piggyback off of that core understanding of like what makes for a good story, you know, what interests and intrigues the viewer or the target audience.
0: Yeah, I think that's really powerful too, because I, I think that's almost like a trick to finding success in life is taking what you have experienced and using that to your benefit. So, you know, someone might come at that problem and say, oh, I've studied all this video stuff. And oh, all my clients want marketing. And man, I really wish I studied marketing instead of video. But I think it's always cool to hear how people take what they've already established and what they've learned and be able to apply it to what they want to do next.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you know, I think some of that is like, you know, trying to get the most out of what it is that you learned or what it is that you studied and realizing that it isn't just a box that you're being put in. Like, I'm sure there are some majors that absolutely, you know, put you in a box, right? Or like if you're studying like, you know, surgical medicine, you're, you're in a box, right? But like something creative in the creative space, like media production, I mean, even in the name alone, just because media production meant video when I was studying it doesn't mean that it doesn't lend itself to all other forms or many other forms of brand storytelling in in any way shape or form video written or otherwise and it probably depends on the box you want to move to right because i think the example
0: that you give is good but then you also think well wait a second what about like michael crichton where you know the classic example of going from like being in med school and then deciding he wanted to be a, a writer but then using everything that he learned from med school and implementing that to have really detailed science aspects in his writing which kind of sets him apart from the crowd so it does depend i think on which box you're moving to or how you can creatively implement
1: what you've had in the past you know it, it's funny because one of my professors in school uh after i had entered the professional world and I, I had worked in corporate america for a while and um I came back, I visited the school, and the professor actually did a, you know, a video interview of me and in asking me questions, one of the things that I couldn't answer in the moment, he was like, so how did media production help you do what you're doing today, which had nothing at the time to do with video? And I was just like, stumbling over my words, like, I don't know how media production helped me. You know, I was an advertising manager uh, in the automotive industry. So how did, how did media production help me be a better advertising manager in the auto industry? And then I realized like there were so many things that I was drawing from that were almost like subconscious to me at the time. And so over the years, I've really started to pay more attention to how much my learning uh, in media production has really helped shape what I do today, even though they're like might not sound like it to your listeners, but like they're on polar opposite ends of the spectrum, like web design and video production in the creative space are like two different worlds.
0: I think again, when it's embedded into who you have become as a person, and you're drawing on stuff without even thinking about it, it's hard to self assess that unless you've really stopped and thought about it over time.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I was, I probably looked like an idiot in that video. It was just I was a deer in headlights. I didn't know how to answer (laughs) that question.
0: So when a client comes to you, do they usually have a pretty good idea about the direction they want to go with their website or with their brand? Or are they coming to you usually because they have no idea of
1: what direction they want to go in? The cop-out answer is a little bit of both, but the best projects, the most fun projects to work on are the ones that sort of trust my creative vision. And I help use what they like and how they tell me their brand exists in other places to shape what that vision is. But right, like you have, you have some websites that kind of need to have sort of a corporate tonality to their design. And then you have other websites that it's cool to have like a fun and quirky kind of design. And both of those projects to me are equally fun to work on, but I have the most fun when I have the creative freedom to run with either one of those projects, right? So I guess to answer your question even further, um, a lot of times when clients come to me, they won't know what they want their site to look like, but they do have an idea of sort of the space that they're playing in, right? So are they a quirky brand or are they a corporate brand? And how do they need to sort of tell or portray themselves? And then I help shape the story that they're telling.
0: What are the first questions that you ask when trying to figure out what the story is? So you mentioned a little bit about, you know, what the vibe is, if it's quirky or fun or or serious, but like thinking about a narrative aspect, is there, are you thinking about how the business started? Is that an essential part? Or are you almost creating a character for the brand? How does that really work for drilling down to figure out what's important to the company? Or I guess the individual. Are you working with companies or individuals or a little bit of both?
1: Uh, a little bit of both. Most of the brands that I work with are either early stage startups or companies. I don't know that I do a bunch of uh, individual websites, but they all sort of fit into the same bucket, even if it was an individual, part of what I want to know. So even, even with a company, I do still want to know the history of the company, even if it's just for my benefit and doesn't make its way onto the website. I do like to understand like why, you know, you're a company, you're probably solving some problem or offering some service that helps solve a problem. And so I want to understand, like, how did you come up with it? what was the core problem you were solving 20 years ago? And how are you better solving that problem today? Or what other things do you offer to solve that problem today? And again, that may or may not make it onto the website, but it helps set a baseline for me of like why this brand even exists. Sort of to piggyback on to that, I then sit down with them and I want to understand, you know, this is like, this is almost like stereotypical marketing lingo, but it is important. I like to know the unique selling propositions or value props right like i want to know like why why your service right you know if you're if you're apple you sell a computer but why what is what problem is it solving that someone else's computer doesn't already solve right and so it's sitting down with the client and trying to unpack that story and then you know there really is this aspect of storytelling when building a website, I actually I literally when I sit down with my clients, and we get to the structuring of their site, we always start with the homepage, just because that's kind of where the entire overview ends up living. And when we start on the homepage, I always tell them, the goal of this page is to tell your story from start to finish in a very simple and concise manner and not your story as in your history, but your story as in why this product makes sense. And so a good example of that is we always start with the marketing funnel. And so what I tell them is this is funnel-driven storytelling. So the marketing funnel, uh, you know, for your listeners out there, the very simple basic version of the marketing funnel that I use with my clients is basically four stages. At the top of the funnel, you have awareness. And then after that, you have consideration. And, you know, picture you're working your way down a funnel. So awareness, consideration, preference, and then action. So purchase or you know a lead form submission or whatever your action is that you want them to take on the website. And now we need to tell a story on the homepage that kind of helps us walk the user, the visitor through that funnel. So to actually unpack that a little bit, at the top of the funnel, awareness. When you're building a website, you got to let people, even if it's the most common of items out there, you still want to let people know why they're on your page and what market you're playing in. And so I I typically call this uh, your positioning, right? So if you're selling like a bouncy ball, then you want that main statement to say like the world's best bouncy ball, like, cool. All right. As a visitor, now I know why I'm on this page. And then as you work your way down, you start telling people the why, what makes this bouncy ball amazing? What are the value props of this bouncy ball? Right. And then the preference. All right well we do have our super bouncy ball it goes extremely high, but then we have this other one that's more affordable that goes pretty high. It's like okay cool, we're offering we're offering preference to our visitors now. And then have a call to action, right So purchase yours today or contact us to learn more about all of our different bouncy balls or whatever. If you're crafting a story to help handhold the user or the visitor, through their website experience and so it really is more than just like slap a bunch of images on a web page and hope people click it's how do we tell a story
0: yeah because it's more i think a lot of people think about web design and they think oh it's something that looks nice but all this seems to be the real essence of what you need to get right first is the story and helping the viewer or visitor of the website like you're saying be able to identify what that is
1: yeah exactly fundamentally you know, for me, when I'm designing, I fundamentally need to know the structure and the story before we ever start tackling design. Uh, so that's sort of the first stage. And, you know, one of the first questions or series of questions that I have when I sit down with my clients. So you studied video production in college. Where did you start to get all the expertise you have
0: today? Like just the, the different things that you're explaining now. How did you learn those things?
1: <laughs> Baptism by fire. Um so I mentioned I worked in corporate America. I actually had a lot of great experiences, was blessed to to be able to work alongside some really great people, but it was all in like this like management position. So I actually oversaw different creative agencies that would work on our projects, but I kind of just managed what was happening. And I really wanted to get back to the creative side of things that I got to do in college. You know, through a series of events, I ended up starting uh, my own agency that focused on some of the more traditional aspects of advertising, as I mentioned And I would just have clients that said like, well, do you also build websites? And when you're early on in your business and you're scrappy and you're like, well, I need to take every job that comes my way. You know, your answer is yes, I build websites. And then you very (laughs) quickly try to figure out how am I going to build a website? And that's honestly how it happened. I had clients that I was working with that said, you know, do you do digital advertising? I'd be like, yeah, I do digital advertising. And then I would just like, you know, it was scrappy back then, but I would just read up on it and watch videos. And, and then I'd try it, you know, I, I got to learn on the fly, right? Like, they'd say, here's our budget that we want to spend on digital marketing. And then I'd find a way to, to spend that and, and it would work. And then we would kind of capitalize on that. And so, you know, we got really good in, at, in the digital marketing space. And then one of those digital marketing clients came to me one day and said, Hey, I'd like for you to build us, uh, you know, an e-commerce website. And it was like, great, I can do that. And then I had to figure out how to build the e-commerce website. You know, I hate to say this live on a podcast, but it was flying by the seat of my pants until I sort of developed the expertise. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I've been there before too. And it is how you're describing. And But I think that that is almost the best way to learn is through that experience of like, okay, I absolutely need to do this. And I, but I also need to do it well. Like I, I'm i not just doing it for like a quick grade. I'm doing this for someone else in my, especially if you, you have your own business the name of my brand new business is on the line with how I do on this project.
1: Yeah, exactly. And some of that is honestly intimidating, but at the same time, it's like the only way that you're going to learn is like having that responsibility on your shoulders that like, hey, this is my, you know, my reputation or my business's reputation or both that are on the line. And I need to not only do a good job with this project, but... I need to learn the skills to be able to do a good job on this project. And I, at least for me, that's kind of what pushed me forward. And I found that what I was working on, I actually enjoyed more. I had no idea, but I, I actually enjoyed the web design side of things more than I enjoyed the video side of things. And for the longest time I shelved video and focused only on uh, web design and digital advertising. And so it was funny that this thing that kickstarted my sort of creative professional journey became the one thing that like I put up on a shelf and and didn't do. Now it's sort of back in the mix, but it's still sort of a tertiary item in my business. Do you think that that is because of preference
0: or was that almost because you enjoyed this learning process and doing something
1: new? A little bit of both, I think. I didn't dislike video. I, I really liked doing video and, and being in that space, but I really was drawn to web design to the point that like it became you know, almost like a game or a puzzle. And and I got to work on this puzzle every single day. And and video can be that way as well. I actually think any sort of creative storytelling is a puzzle. Um, But for me, it was a puzzle that I really enjoyed. So I started to just get drawn to learning more and more and more about uh, the web design side of things. And in terms of like client need, I had more people asking for a website than I did. You know, it's harder to sell a video like, hey, do you need a corporate documentary versus like, oh, you guys have a you know a great story to tell, but your website's outdated. Do you guys need a new website? And then after building an amazing website, they're like, it would be great if our About Us had our story on it, like with a video. I'd be like, hey, I do that too. And that's kind of how video got back into the mix, but isn't the primary thing. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that's cool. So you also talked about how you were working the corporate job. Now, running your own business isn't really a walk in the park. So What made you decide that, okay, I want to take what I've been learning here and go out on my own?
1: To be perfectly honest, I, even in school, I had always wanted to start my own thing. I think I called it an agency back then, but I don't even know. I think I just wanted to be a freelancer. I don't know what I wanted to do, but I knew it was like work for myself. I was probably super naive, but I actually had no idea like, what does that look like? What does that entail? Do I just start working or do I need to form a business? So in college, I knew nothing but knew I wanted to work for myself. And then like reality hit me after graduation. I got a great job in the corporate world and I basically didn't touch creative anymore in the corporate world, but I got to oversee creative. And so it was, it was a great learning experience. This probably sounds terrible, but it was almost a little bit dream killing too, though. I was like, well here, you know, I'm in this job that most people strive for, for a lot of their career, right? Like you made it into corporate America, you're in a management position, a low level management position you know you're cruising this is where you stay until you retire and that sort of hit me and i remember being like man am i ever going to work you know with my hands in the creative spaces again or am i only going to manage it in my process of managing all these different agencies right so it, it in my role uh, in the auto industry we had a different agency for every creative aspect of the business so we had an email agency and a you know video agency and a digital online advertising agency, and I got to see how all of these agencies in varying sizes uh, worked in what they do. And I realized we would have a project, and we'd be like, we have you know x amount of dollars, and it would be something small, right? Um, comparatively or relatively small. And these agencies would be like, well, you know, that's not really enough for us to do it, uh, but we'll find one of our like tier two agencies to do this project for you. And I remember sitting there in the corporate world, like, well, all I asked you to do is film an interview, like, shoot, I'll do it for, you know, like, I'm making up numbers here. But like, let's say it was $15,000. These big agencies are like, well, if it's not 1.5 million, we're not going to do it. But we'll find we'll find someone to do it for 15 grand. And I'm sitting there in this role within the corporate office going, well, shoot, for 15 grand, like, I'll do this. I'll do this for five grand, like, send it my way. But that wasn't my job. That wasn't my. You know, they didn't look at me as the creative. I was the manager, uh, you know, of these different agencies. And so, you know, the story I always tell is like I left to be the scrap agency when all these big agencies didn't want to take a job. I'll take it. I'll eat your scraps because those are those are huge. They're just scraps to this giant organization. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly.
0: So it's you and how many other people, or is it, or is it just you at your company?
1: Right now, it is just me. There were a couple of years that we were up to uh, two full-time employees and uh, rotating interns. And my style um, of management, again, kind of what I'm, you know, this whole story is I really love getting to work in the creative space. And so I kind of, uh, when my daughter was born in 2017, I started to downsize the business to, to just me. So it is a solo operation.
0: And it sounds like you really like to touch a little bit of everything because that is that because you like the control of it or you like, or you just like the variety of it?
1: If I'm being honest, I'm probably a little bit of a micromanager. So yes, <laughs> I, li- I like the control aspect of it. It's also creative. And, and that's, I think that's a lot of what, like, there are some great agencies out there that have 20 designers working on a website and I think it's fine and it works. But when you look at, you know, web design as like your canvas, it's really hard to be like cool, I have a vision and a story. Now let me just pass this on to some other designer to actually design it. Like, it's a lot easier to be like, cool, I have this vision and a story and I don't quite know exactly what the design's going to be, but I need to play around with it to land on the right design. You know, I would assume it would be tough for a painter to be like, I'm going to paint a beautiful landscape and then to hire a painter to paint their vision of a landscape. It's like, well, no, I don't, I don't totally know what color I want to use in the upper right-hand corner or left-hand corner but I kind of know I want it to be a landscape. And so they need to do it. They need to have their brush on the canvas and figure it out and make their mistakes and then paint over those mistakes. And it's the same thing in my opinion. It's the same thing in web design.
0: Yeah. I'm finding with these different interviews that I do with creatives, it's almost like there's like you were saying, video production is a different world than web design. But if you were to boil everything down into two general worlds of creative things, there's a creative process that requires a big team of people like making a movie. Mm -hmm. Now there's exception examples, but they're few and far between. But if you're making a movie, you need a ton of people. And even for the person who has the most control of that, say it be the director, there's still so many people that you're working with that it's just a completely different animal than kind of this other category, which I would put like a writer or a painter or someone who is the sole person working at a business such as your own, where they control and are the creative head of every single decision that's made. And I find that when I'm talking to people, especially if they've had their foot in both worlds, that's where the biggest difference has been in their description of what they do.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I agree with that completely. I think I boil cr- the creative process down, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I I boil the creative process down to being a puzzle, and that is, you know, to your point, it's whether you're a painter or you're you're, you know, making videos, you, you are designing web pages, you're, in my opinion, writing books, uh, or making music. Every day in the creative process is a puzzle, and it's really tough to want to do a puzzle but let someone else do it for you. And in my opinion, it's a lot. It's it's both more fun, more rewarding and easier uh, to micromanage when you're the one assembling the puzzle, you know, and, and in that process, you're working on a puzzle, you have great days where it's a lot of fun. And you have days where you're struggling with an issue, you're trying, you're, you know, you can't find that right puzzle piece. And so you're like, man, today's really tough. But then you get to learn how to find that puzzle piece. And then you get the reward of putting that puzzle piece you just learned in place. And at the end of the project, whether it is a book or a song or a website or a video or whatever. But at the end of the day, at the end of the project, you get to walk away with a completed puzzle and the knowledge that was formed during the building of that puzzle. And I think that's true across the creative spectrum.
0: With web design and brand logos, do you find that there's trends that come and go? And how much do you have to kind of keep tabs on what's hot on the market? Or is that something that you prefer to try to stick with things that
1: are more timeless? There are a lot of trends in really any industry, but in the web design space, especially because things can move so fast and they can be dynamic, right? Like you could have something cool this month that's not cool next month, and it's easy enough to update a website. And so you do see a lot of websites that jump on the trend bandwagon. You know, this might seem like a bit of a cop out, but like, I do think there's a little bit of both that get involved. I do think there's something to be said about, um, you know, websites that follow current trends and those trends do change from year to year. But you see even big companies that sort of ebb and flow with those trends. Um, You know, Google does a lot with what's called material design, and that's a trend that's really big right now. Apple has embraced a lot of gradient color design in their websites. And those are things that are trends. Those probably won't last the next 10 years, but it is what's cool, what looks great, what our eyes are drawn to now. And so I think there is a time and a place for that. When it gets into things that are a little more permanent, like a logo... And I'm fully aware that logos can be revised and, and redesigned um, and can evolve over time. But when I, when I work on a logo and a brand identity for a client, those, I firmly believe, need to be more on the timeless side of things. I really like using simple geometric shapes and logos. Um, if I was boiling it down, I like to use these simple designs, a lot of like, clear textual brand identity. So using like a um, typeface more than I'm using some crazy concept of like a bird or, you know, some sort of graphic that you throw in there, because those things start to look stale as design moves on. But like, typographic design you look at typographic logos you know from the 60s and 70s most of them hold up well today because you know our eyes are drawn to fonts fonts can be unique but fonts don't fade as as much over time with exception
0: yeah probably there's certain fonts that you can almost tell when you see a trendy font though like it's there's almost some sort of like indicator that goes off in your brain where it's like that might not look good next year (laughs) you know yeah yeah absolutely so we were talking behind the scenes a little bit, and you had listened to a previous episode, the one with Nicole Johnson, and we had talked a little bit about imposter syndrome. And you mentioned you had a couple of things that you wanted to add to that from your own experience. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So with imposter syndrome, I think there's sort of two aspects or two sides to it. Um, there is a side to imposter syndrome where it can just be used as a crutch or like like a cop out, like, you know, oh, I think you mentioned in your example, like, as an author, you could just say, like, well, I was think I, I don't know if what I just wrote is great, but that's probably just the imposter syndrome talking and then just kind of like pushing past it and just being like, well, I don't need to revise it or think about it. Yeah. And while I think that's true, I do think there's a very real aspect of imposter syndrome. You know, for me, I experienced it in the corporate world. Here I am, right out of school, working in corporate America, managing uh, or assisting in the management of these agencies and I have people asking me for my recommendations on things or asking for direction. And for the longest time, I'm like, I'm not qualified to, I'm still trying to figure this all out. Like I'm still learning this. Why are you asking me how we're going to run this campaign or how we're going to do this, that, or the other thing. And while I was still figuring it out, there was an element of, well, Hey, I got this position because the company's respect for my knowledge and certain things. And so when somebody's coming to me and asking me for, direction I don't necessarily need to feel like an imposter but I do need to do my best and my due diligence behind the scenes on coming up with my answers so I can't just be like this uh you know overconfident post college kid just spitting off answers and and direction but on the flip side I can't sort of cower behind uh well I'm not I'm not really qualified I probably shouldn't you know being being a wishy-washy you know, manager. And so there was this element of realizing that there were some qualifications that I had where I could be confident in my decision making. And I did have to sort of push past this idea of like, I don't belong here.
0: Yeah, I think it really is a complex issue. And again, I hope the last time I talked about with Nicole, I didn't make it sound too much like feeling it was only a cop out, because I definitely think that's not the case. Because like you said, it's a lot of times you're thrown into situations that you're not prepared for, but I think you have a healthy way to look at it in terms of, it's like, okay, I might be in over my head, but I have a starting point. And then almost like what you were saying before, when you were getting clients with your business, when you're out of the corporate world, you're getting these clients and they say, hey, can you do this for me? And it's something that you've never done. And the first thing you're doing is you're reading up on it. You know, you're not telling yourself that, oh, yeah, I'm this grand expert of anything creative, so I can do it. It's a, yes, this is a challenge that I want to tackle, but I'm also going to look at all the resources I can. Because, yeah, I think a lot of the problem can sometimes stem from this idea that anybody is ever in a position where they're done learning. Like I had an author, Liz Tolsma, on a couple of weeks back. And, you know, she's released like 20 novels, 20 plus novels, and she still has ways that she wants to grow and challenge herself and push herself in the next book. And so I think when you have that mindset about things, it's healthy in terms of always improving and always keeping the job like fresh for yourself. I think the perspective that I had had the last episode that can be dangerous is you don't want to get into this position where you feel like you'll never be qualified to do something. Because I think, I think being qualified to do it, a lot of that stems from your ability to be humble and pursue it and also admit that there's always something to learn. I, I don't know if I... It's, it's a tough subject because it's, it's very complex. And I think uh, I don't want to talk about it in a way that's uh, like dismissive, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, you know, I totally agree that like you are always learning and I think that's important. And I think that's where, at least for some imposter syndrome might sort of come in where it's like, well, I am always learning. So I've never achieved level 100. Right. And I, and I probably never will. So, but, but then you look at like. The quote-unquote professionals in the space, right? You look at the the Johnny Ives, who the designer for Apple, or or Steve Jobs, and you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not them. Like, you want to know how to design a product, talk to them. Even though I'm sure there are some great product designers, you know, right in your own neighborhood, right? And it's like, are they imposters because they haven't, you know, achieved this fictitious level one hundred, or are they just really good at what they do and they deserve the credit and Uh, you know, the decision making and the client trust uh, because of their expertise. And, And that's a little bit of where I was, because I was, you know, as I mentioned, in some scenarios, I was like flying by the seat of my pants. But at the same time, thankfully, those clients trusted my the larger vision, they were like, well, Josh, Josh knows our brand, and we trust Josh's creative ability. So yeah, you know, that my my first website client knew I had never built a website, but they wanted me to build their website because I had done so much in other aspects of their brand and they just kind of trusted me with it.
0: Did you feel that more in the corporate space versus when you were running your own business? Like, did you feel like you felt imposter syndrome more often in the corporate world versus when you're on your own?
1: Um, yes. So I definitely felt it more in the corporate space because, you know, I felt like I was still getting my bearings in the my professional life. Um, but I, you know, I have felt it over the years, even in running my own business, but there's, you know, I've learned to embrace it a little more, not as imposter syndrome, even though I know that that's like, probably what it was back then. But now it's more this adventure of learning, right? There's a Richard Branson quote, well, I, I guess I assume it's a real Richard Branson quote, but it's a great quote that I've heard that's attributed to Richard Branson, which is that like, if somebody offers you an amazing opportunity, and you're not sure you can do it, say yes, and learn how to do it later. And I've kind of embraced that, not as a, oh, I'm just gonna say yes to everything and lie about my abilities, but if I'm confident that I can learn this thing, then sure, if a client asks, uh, you know, and my uh, one of my clients had asked me to build an e-commerce site, and I had never built an e-commerce site with payment gateways and accepting payments and allowing for refunds and shipment notifications and all of that kind of stuff, I'll figure it out. So I said yes, And I learned a ton along the way. And since then, I've built plenty of e-commerce websites. And so it's one of those things where like, yeah, then I wasn't really an imposter necessarily. But, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to say yes now. And I'm going to figure out how to do it while I'm working with this client. And I'm sure that could be dangerous, but it has also paid off and it's been it's been beneficial. I think the other part of imposter syndrome that it, cause I think
0: people talk about imposter syndrome in the sense that we're talking about it now, where you're in a position to do something and you're kind of taking on the challenge as it comes at you. And I think that's where people experience a lot of those feelings, but it seems like the classic definition of it is almost this, like um, it comes after your success. So like, for example, if I was to publish a book and it hit like a bestseller list. And then I would, the imposter syndrome would be me having the feeling of it doesn't belong there. Like when are they going to find out that I am just learning how to write and that I am not the writer that I want to be yet? Yeah. You know, after you collect the payment from the client and everything said
1: and done, have you had that experience at that moment as well? Definitely. And I, I think that's a perfect definition of it. So I've, I definitely felt it, especially early on in my business that like, I'm running a business, but I've never run a business before I'm taking on clients for web design work when I've only built two websites, but everybody starts somewhere. And like my clients were trusting me with building a website or shooting a video or running their digital ads. And at some point you do need to accept the fact that like, well, I do know what I'm doing in this space and I need to have the confidence to sort of move forward and do that thing. I, I do remember actually, you know, in my corporate days, um, early on the brand that I was working for, they told me that a radio station wanted to do an interview about a new vehicle we were launching and they were going to send me down to talk to the radio station And I was like, I mean, that was a position where it was like, my company thinks I have the knowledge to talk about this. And I know nothing about cars. So my company thinks I have the knowledge to talk about this and they're trusting me with it. And the radio station is like chomping at the bit to talk to this guy working in corporate. So they're all excited. And meanwhile, (laughs) I'm in the middle going, oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I'm absolutely terrified. I don't belong here. Go, go, go ask the guy who's been at this company for 20 years to talk. Why are you coming to me? And I think that was kind of the first instance of imposter syndrome where I was like a deer in headlights, but it all went well. They asked, you know, the radio station asked great questions. My company had trusted me with, um, representing the brand. Well, and I think I did, I probably would look back and think, why did I say the things I did? But everybody loved the interview (laughs) and it went well. I look back on that and I'm like, Given the opportunity, I would have 100% turned it down right? If they had said, Josh, would you like to go talk to this radio station?" I would have been like, eh, no, why don't you get you know this guy or that guy or you know this gal to do it because they've been at the company and know more about this than I do. But it was forced upon me. And I think there was uh, internally, there was an element of imposter syndrome, but it all worked out in the end. And I did have to push past it, but you know, it was a great learning experience.
0: Well, I wonder too, like just based on what you're saying and kind of what we've been talking about, if a way to work through this too, is finding the ability to trust someone outside of yourself um, about where your talent is and, and what you do excel at and what you're good at. Because I think we have blind spots to both our own weaknesses and our own strengths and I wonder if that's a lot of where it stems from, too, because you think about the example that I brought up of, oh, if, I, if a book sold really well and got really good reviews and I felt like, oh, I just know all the mistakes about that book. Well maybe it's more that i should be looking at oh well look this really resonated with them in some way and so there's maybe something that i'm missing there but of course also there's a flip side to that where if you you're getting a bunch of negative reviews you don't also don't want to have your identity baked into that as well but then what you're saying with this you know working in this corporate environment and the your peers around you are thinking about you as someone who would be good at this interview and so it's almost like having kind of a trust in the people who are around you saying, hey, Josh, I think you'll actually be great at this, even though you might not have specific experience with it. Like there was something that they saw in you that you didn't necessarily see in yourself that made you a good candidate for that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great, uh, you know, summarization of things. You know, I, I think sort of trusting a third party perspective on things is is beneficial. So we talked a little bit about why you like to create
0: and the reasons that you enjoy doing what you do. What would you say the main the central why is behind why you think creative things are important to people?
1: I think creativity, you know, follows everybody into every aspect of their life whether you work in a creative environment or a creative field or not. On a spiritual level, I believe that we create because we are created by the creator and, you know, it's innate in us to uh, create things and to dream up things. And, you know, it's rewarding too. And then beyond that, you know, I mentioned the concept of the creative process being like a puzzle. I can't stand normal puzzles, right? Like the 500 piece or thousand piece puzzle you pick up at the store, but I wake up every day and I either start or continue working on a puzzle, which insert, build a website or design a website here. And that puzzle, I get to work on it from start to finish. That is rewar- both rewarding and and it's like building something with, hypothetically, with your hands, right? Or, or, you know, intelligently using these gifts that God has given us to do and accomplish something. And I think that's incredibly important. And again, I think that spans all jobs and all personalities in some way, shape or form, we are all creating.
0: Well, great. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think those are both important and profound perspectives that you have on those creative things. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed getting to hear more about your work and why you create. Where can people learn more about your web design and see the different projects that you worked on in the past?
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me on the show. For To to contact me or uh, see projects that I've worked on, you can head over to doncomarketing.com. That's D-O-N-C-O marketing.com. Uh, and I have a small portfolio there. You know, I guess it's one of those things like a plumber is always the one with leaky faucets at home. Don't judge that website based on <laughs> what you see at surface level. It's been a long time since I've been able to update that.
0: It's a good website, though. I was on it today
1: uh, to just brush up on everything before the interview.
0: So don't sell yourself short either. But um, you have samples of full websites that you've done for clients as well on there, too. Yep. Well, good. Well, thanks again. Thanks for having
1: me. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause of Craft. You can see Josh's work by clicking on the link in the show notes or visiting doncomarketing.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing with a friend and leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Both these simple things really help the show grow. Follow the show on Instagram. There I post clips and visual companions for every episode. And if you have feedback, suggestions, or guest recommendations, send an email to john at causeofcraft.com. That's J-O-N at causeofcraft.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.